Hey, yo, welcome to Lost on Mars with Mills. As always, I appreciate all you miscreants that waste your time entertaining the kid, because I'm sure you could have connected your brainstem to way more fascinating access points in the matrix. I'm starting to think y'all growing soft on old Millie Mills. I'd be lying if I said the feeling was mutual, boy. I don't like y'all, but that's neither here nor there. Hey, yo, shout out to all the LeBroniacs who hate Jordan. Listen, I'm not sure how much the CDC is paying y'all, but let the record officially reflect that Michael Jeffrey Jordan is the greatest basketball player who ever lived. And it's not even close. Fool with your guy. Check it out. Now, social media has given rise to many communities and voices of many issues. And one such emerging community is one providing a voice for the problem of narcissism and having relationships with narcissists, which results in what victims would detail as psychological abuse. Now, we need to understand two things off top. Number one, narcissism is personality qualities that include thinking highly of oneself, needing admiration, believing others are inferior, and lacking empathy for others. Just a general definition. Number two, it exists on a spectrum. Now we all have the capacity to be self-absorbed and exhibit narcissistic qualities. Narcissism itself though is expressed Uh, in different types and to different extremes, ranging from having some narcissistic tendencies to being clinically disordered. We call them psychos. And that clinical diagnosis is usually unofficial because, well, psychos don't usually have therapists. Now, what's interesting about narcissism is how it develops. People who become narcissists are typically victims of some childhood trauma. They were either shamed by a parent or or close relative. Uh, And scientific studies of the brain show that shame is felt more intensely than most, if not all other emotions, and therefore has more lasting effects on individuals who experience them, especially if they're experienced on multiple occasions. Now, what results is people who sustain deep-seated wounds of resentment, and an obsessive hunger for validation. The shame and resentment make them cold. The obsession with validation from others makes them calculating. Sound familiar? (laughs) We'll talk about why later. Now, the reason why it's hard to explain to your friends and family and why it's hard for them to understand is because it's not like your average breakup. Now, breakups tend to be the result of some kind of incompatibility that becomes clear over time. And even though it's tough, the clarity 
allows you to work through the details of your emotions a lot better because you at least understand pretty clearly what went wrong. Relationships with a narcissist, on the other hand, involve a lot of manipulation, both mentally and emotionally. And without fully understanding what went wrong, getting over the relationship becomes an intense and often obsessive desire for closure. And you struggle to just let it go. Now, what tends to happen in the beginning is what many call the love bombing phase. In this phase, you tend to connect really well. You got a lot in common. You got a lot of things that you're looking for in a mate. You're checking off a lot of boxes for one another, right? Now, she wasn't even on my radar as a potential romantic interest until I met her in person. Before that, I had just gotten out of another relationship. And as she as she picked my brain over some of the details of the breakup, I listened to compliments dripping from her lips like honey as she expressed her admiration at my maturity and my respect for my ex-girlfriend. She had never heard a man speak so highly of an ex, right? So I just gotten out of this relationship. I was kind of sad. I was down. I was frustrated at spinning my wheels on the dating scene and just kind of upset that things didn't work out. However, I still maintain a high level of esteem for my ex. I didn't tell her down. I didn't I didn't blame her for the relationship not working out. I didn't vilify her because she didn't meet my expectations. She listened to me and she was impressed. She had never heard anybody speak like that about an ex before. Right. It was rare. Man, to drive it all home when we met in person. It just reinforced the attraction that was starting to build. I seen baby girl, man. She was chocolate, pretty skin, pretty smile. She was thick. I already knew she was intelligent, right? So the connection was just fortified even more because I'm looking at this girl who I already thought was a good friend and has some really dope qualities, and and she's and she's beautiful. And so obviously my attraction is growing. Her attraction is growing. She felt much the same way. You know, she met me in person and, um, and you know, some of the things that, that, that she pointed out that, that she liked, you know, my, my, uh, my swagger, the way I carry myself, right? <clears throat> she thought I was nice looking also. Uh, she thought I was intelligent. I had a relationship with God, right? Um, a good job. And I was marking off a lot of boxes on her list as well. And I was I presented myself as a combination uh, that she thought was rare that she hadn't really met before, um, according to her. And so, you know, here we are uh, developing this bond. Right. And 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 like a true master of the narcissistic arts, while conversation and attraction were her bait. Admiration was her hook. Not only did she listen to me, but she affirmed me in a way that I don't know if I've ever been affirmed in. I mean, the compliments, uh, the encouragement, um, it was soothing, right? And little did I know that with each conversation and with each compliment, 
she was sinking her claws deeper and deeper into my flesh. Now, the honeymoon slash love bombing phase is probably 25% genuine attraction and interest. I mean, let's face it, you ugly, but they probably think you cute. We all ugly. And I'm sure they think you cute. The other 75% is a smokescreen, though, and it sets the drama for the second phase. Now, while they're gassing you with compliments and affection and showing other signs of high compatibility, they are also normalizing some red flag behaviors stuff like their phone is always face down they're always running late you rarely ever get to be around their friends and they go long blocks of time without calling texting or returning calls and texts okay another one might be that um 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 if they have an ex if they have kids right so, so in my case, my ex had kids. So it was all, it was always, uh, or it was also the petty arguments with the ex, the text arguments, or even the face-to-face arguments when they picking up the kids, right? It's like, why are you, why are you having so much dialogue with this person on a regular basis? That's a red flag, right? Now, while some of this is the result of underdeveloped interpersonal skills, please believe most of it is systematic. It's here where the seeds of manipulation start to spring up with leaves because it's here where you discover that what seem to be occasional mishaps are actually habitual. And while you're growing more and more frustrated at each misdeed, it won't be till much later that you discover that while they humbly claim that these are honest mistakes and random oversights on their part, they are actually strategic covers for doing dirt. And while you rack your brain trying to understand why some basic communication can't fix some of these simple issues, your mate is reeling you into arguments that can cause you to do one of two things. One, you get you get mad, big mad. (laughs) They're going to have you pissed off. Or two, you're going to agree that you're overreacting so that they can continue to do dirt virtually unchecked. You see how that works? They flip it so that the problem is not what they're doing, but your reaction to what they're doing takes all of the attention off of their behavior, puts all of the attention on your tone, your volume, your reaction to what they're doing. It's real sly. Now, this makes for a bumpy ride as inconsistency Uh, is intentionally planted to breed distrust and discord. (laughs) Intentionally. And it's usually during this devaluation phase where you get some rude foretaste of what's to come in the final stage of the relationship. Yo, I remember the first time dealing with stonewalling. 
it was very common for us to communicate in the morning time like most couples either a good morning text or a good morning call on the way to work what have you either something goofy or some lovey-dovey right so i reach out to her it's about seven eight o'clock in the morning no response which is fine uh, now mind you my mind my mindset is this woman is not just my girlfriend. She is also a mother. She is also an employee. Matter of fact, she's in senior management, so she's an employer, right? So she wears various hats that I gotta factor in uh, to my my mental model of, of her availability anytime I reach out to her, right? It's only right. So it doesn't really throw me off guard just because she doesn't respond to the first text. An hour or two later, I shoot her another text. No response. Okay. My antennas go up a little bit, but still, keep it pushing. By the time lunch come around, I decide to hit her with a group me message. So we didn't just communicate through text. There were other mediums whether it be phone text facebook instagram or group me hit it with a group me message thinking like man i don't know maybe something is wrong with her phone um maybe maybe she can't see her phone so maybe she has her desktop pulled up at work so i hit up with a message is everything okay try reaching out to you let me know you're good right no response a few hours later Getting closer to the end of my day, I'm scrolling my Facebook feed while I'm still at work. I look up and she's posted a picture online of herself with the caption uh, denoting something to the effect of how she might be feeling or the kind of headspace that she's in that day. But whatever it was, it was kind of gloomy. It was kind of grim. It was kind of morbid. And I believe the picture itself uh, was in black and white and I teased her about the picture um, afterwards uh, on a few occasions we would laugh about it um, I call it the black widow pit it was something it was it was just something very very grim um, about the whole photo um, but anyway obviously this is this is throwing me off guard not because of the pic not because of the mood that the pic creates but obviously, in light of the fact that I have been trying to reach out to her. And here she is on Facebook uh, with access to something, right? Communicating with her network, but not with me, her boyfriend. Right? And and this is stonewalling. It only The only purpose it serves is to punish the other person with the silent treatment. No matter how conciliatory, no matter how apologetic uh, your tone or your words are, the only thing that they are thinking about doing is striking back at you. And they strike back at you with silence. This is most effective at throwing you mentally and emotionally off balance. Now, you want to believe in them because you love them, right? So you don't really suspect that this is any kind of intentional strategy. 
and you want to be able to talk through your issues because you also believe they love you. My mind, my mindset was you don't have to resort to antics to get my attention or for me to validate your emotions. You can literally just tell me or we can talk through an issue, right? And so you, you, you're still very unsuspecting. And so my communication with her when I finally, when I finally caught up to her a few hours later um, was, was to reinforce that very idea. Like, if, if there's a problem between us, you can literally just tell me and we can work it out. We can talk about it. And I'm willing to own my part. And I'm willing to figure out a solution, a resolution, so that we can get through it. Especially when you care about somebody to this degree, right? That love bombing phase got your, no- your nose wide open. You deep in love. <laughs> so, you know, you feel like it's worth fighting for especially if it catches you off guard and you don't see it as something that was you don't see any offense either you don't recognize that an offense took place or you don't you don't see it as something that was major now after the first incident you convince yourself to just communicate because maybe they've never had it articulated how it makes the other person feel you just tell them right Maybe they just need to be made aware of a habit they might have unconsciously picked up over the years. But much to my frustration and as well as my impending doom, this would be only the first of about 10 times that she would employ the same insidious strategy to strike back at some offense she was holding against me. The very last time she did it was the very last time I spoke to her. Three weeks after that, she was posting pictures with her new boyfriend on her Facebook page. Got him, coach. How could these things be happening with your soulmate or the love of your life is what you probably ask yourself. And hindsight is always 2020, except for when you're dealing with a narcissist and the devil is using the details to confuse and misdirect you at every turn psychologically. Remember the stonewalling incident? It represents the uphill drama of your entire relationship. It's a problem you become desperate to solve, mainly because you believe the lie that you can actually solve it. You spend your time obsessing over the details in search of a smoking gun, and all you ever get is smoke and mirrors. It turns you into one of two kinds of victims. Number one, you become a prisoner of the past. You convince yourself that had you done certain things differently, you'd still have the love of your life. If they had simply understood you better, you'd still be together. Or had you paid attention to red flags, you would have ended it sooner yourself. Or you become victim number two, an anti-narcissist vigilante. This is someone who is hypersensitive to any of the slightest signs of narcissism, narcissism from anyone. The mental and emotional anguish you endured from having a relationship with someone who plays so maliciously with your mind and your heart makes you militant. Not only in your own life though, 
but in the lives of others. The psychological damage you sustain makes you see red flags everywhere as your deep fear of ever becoming a victim again is projected onto the world around you. Now, what I had working to my advantage was truth. See, most of how victims get destroyed is from what is called cognitive dissonance. It's a fancy way of describing how the mind accepts lies even when the deception is clear because the truth is too painful. See, the back and forth that the mind undergoes while obsessing over details and looking for answers and recognizing truth but rejecting it, man, it wreaks havoc on the emotions. And it can cause you to be stuck replaying events over and over in your head, never finding solutions and preventing you from healing. So how do we escape? Well, it's the truth that makes us free. So no matter how hard the pill is, you make it your mission to swallow it. And if you got to cut your own hand off to get out of those chains, then you make up in your mind that it is better to be missing one of your limbs and have all your freedom than to have none of your freedom and all of your limbs. So I found strength to accept the fact that she no longer wanted me. That she knew I was hurting and didn't care. There was no misunderstanding. I wasn't confused about the details and there was nothing I could have done differently. I may not have had hard evidence of lying or cheating, but as I look back on how I was uh, uh, treated when I was angry, suspicious or distressed, the cars didn't lie and they did not spell love. But these truths just help help us find the exit door to freedom. They don't unshackle your chains. You want to get free? You got to go a step further. See, after some evaluation, you might look back over your relationship with the narcissist and feel like everything was a lie. Well, that's a lie. Surprisingly, we were actually very compatible. Just not for the reasons I initially thought. Truth is, the thing that caused us to bond, (laughs) check this out, was childhood trauma. See, the reason she was so good at affirming me was because she knew how it felt to not get that same affirmation from some of the people she trusted most as a child. And the reason I responded so readily to it is because I had experienced the same. See, as a child, it didn't just create a wound, but a blind spot. And when certain kinds of treatment gets normalized at any point in your life, you roll past multiple red flags because you never learn to set boundaries. There it is, my friend. Understanding these boundaries is the way of escape. (laughs) Listen to me. Narcissists don't come into our lives to teach us how to spot narcissists or how narcissism works. They come into our lives to show us ourselves and how often we fail to set boundaries.
They come to show us that before he or she ever hurt us, we were never healed. Now start there and begin again. Lost on Mars. Fool with me, man.